Good day, everybody, and welcome to episode 63 of the Carrier's Edge podcast, the final episode of our season. Season, not even really sure. (laughs) Feels like season 50. Three? I think it might be three. No, we started these, I guess, in the fall of 2014, so... What? No. It would be about five years. Maybe it wasn't 2014, maybe it was later. We've been doing a dozen or so... uh, a little more than a dozen or so episodes in a year. But who are you? Yes. The great question. No, just introduce yourself, Mark. You threw me off. I was going to do that. And then you started throwing me off with how many years we've been doing Man, it's it. It's so easy to do that. Throw you off. That's what makes me a fun dinner date. Um, really? Welcome to the Carrier's Edge podcast. I'm Mark Morell, co-founder of Carrier's Edge, and I'll be your host today, I'm, along with... <laughs> Jane Jazrawi, the other co-founder and the person who actually knows how to introduce people. I don't know. I introduced myself just fine. You did fine I just job. wasn't there yet. I just wasn't ready when you were prompting me. Okay. Well, I, you know, we could have the conversation about how many podcasts there have been after the introductions. Well, it's not relevant now. Okay. We didn't. It's relevant when we say the episode number. Moving on. And it's gone. Moving on. No, I forgot what we were going to talk about. I don't even know what we were going to talk about. You didn't tell me. Yeah. What you would think it? that we would rehearse this stuff and then edit out all of these things, but no, we're not going to. <laughs> so, what are we going to talk about today? Well, what's been happening? This is our last episode so of this things. season. There's, yeah, a lot of things that happen in the three weeks or so since we did our last one. And unfortunately, a good number of them that we really can't talk about, which is ah, a grind because you kind of want to talk about these things and they've been consuming us, but we're going to leave people hanging. So you have to come to us Every, directly and ask. And yeah, we will tell you. everybody will find out in due time yes, about everything. Time. Yeah. So uh, stay tuned. But I will... Uh, since this is the last episode of our season, I will put in a plug one more time for the WIT Diversity and Inclusion Index that is open for applications now, uh, now through end of July. So if that's something that you're interested in, and it should be, because that's definitely something that's necessary in the industry, check out the website, witindex.org, W-I-T-index.org, or go and like the uh, Facebook page or Twitter page, witindex. Is that what they are? Wit Index or the uh, the Facebook and uh, I think it's like Wit. Di- uh, Facebook is Wit Diversity and Inclusion Index. Okay. Or sorry, Wit Diversity and Inclusion, and um, the Twitter is DNI or Wit Index. Yeah, I should. Know so that it's at Wit Index. Oh, is okay. The, at Wit yeah. Index. There yeah. we go. But if you go to Carrier's Edge. On either of those, you're, mm-hmm. it, it's linked so you can find them. There we go. And the website, witindex.org. Witindex uh, is going to be there. And also if you're uh, in the women in trucking social media feeds, mm-hmm. you're going to find that as well. So yeah. it's easy to find. So that's uh, one thing that's been happening. And that of has course, been happening. Yeah, we've talked about that a fair bit, but I do want to give a quick plug for that. And what else has been happening... Lots have been happening. There's been a lot of um, 
marketing work and a lot of content development work and a lot of platform work. So which one do you want to talk about? Is that one of the things that you were talking about? Yeah, we've been working on some of those things that we can talk about. I uh, was also going to mention and uh, have a discussion with you. I don't think we have actually talked about this. My most recent LinkedIn article uh, I wrote, I've been doing a, a bit of a series on myths related to drivers and training. And there's a lot of them that we've come across over the years of things that people think about drivers and driver feedback on training and how the two fit together. And most of these myths are completely wrong. Well, that's why they're myths. That's why they're myths. Yeah. <laughs> okay. These beliefs that are completely wrong, these things that people fall into, uh, but they're also dangerous. They're damaging to the company. So the first one that uh, everybody has heard is that old chestnut about, well, what if we train them and they leave? Well, that's dumb. So I had a much longer response to that in an article. Uh, and then the, my second one was um, something about drivers don't want training or this idea that mm-hmm. drivers don't like training. They don't want any of it. And that's also garbage. We've got 13 years of Best Fleets data with drivers saying they want more training. Overwhelmingly. Overwhelmingly. Even in companies where the training programs are not really that great. And we hear the training programs and we kind of wince a little bit. But even at those companies, drivers are hungry for more. So they definitely want more I, of it. I think is not even just, it's not training per se. It's just information. Yeah. Drivers and anybody who's employed by any kind of a company wants more information about yep. what's happening, what's going on, what will I be expected to do, what's changing, all of that stuff. And drivers want, and maybe they're thinking of that in terms of more training, like just more mm-hmm. understanding of how to be successful in your own company. And that's the key, how to be successful. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to do their job well. Everybody likes that feeling of knowing that they're doing the job well and getting better at it. And they want that opportunity to learn more and improve and uh, see how they can be better at it and obviously make more money. And it's, it's very fulfilling. So they definitely want more of that. What they don't want is their time wasted. And they don't right. want the company just sort of dumping it all on them. So I had a lengthy article about that. And training, yeah, I, I'm not even sure if what people even mean by training when we ask that mm-hmm. question. So it could, you know, maybe we can revisit that question uh, in terms of like what, what meet training means to them. Mm-hmm. Well, the third part of that series. So is this a new, this is the latest this is the one? one that I wrote, yeah, last week. Okay. Yeah, published last week. And it really... Uh, sort of follows out of some of those other um, positions and is the question about how do we know the drivers actually did the training? (laughs) That old. Oh, Oh, boy. But really what that centers on is the issue of trust. Yep. So that question was one that we used to get kind of regularly when we first started uh, selling online training into this industry. And it was another one where I was like, what do you mean? What do you mean? Why wouldn't they do it? Well, the trust, I think the trust thing, and and I hope I'm not taking you on a tangent, but I think that is interpreted by the driving, the people who are working as drivers as respect. Absolutely. Yes. So that whole thing about, you know, you know, we're respected here. We feel like we're valued here. A lot of that comes back to how you treat people when you're expecting, you have a job expectation. And how do you, you know, do you trust your people to actually do the things that they're going to do to meet that expectation? 
I know. That was oh, was that the end? Sorry, I thought you yeah. were going to continue. But no. yes. Well, that's really what that story ended up being about. And that's what the question really is about. Like this, how do you know drivers did the training? And the question isn't really about uh, how do we track completion and progress and all of that stuff. It's how do you know that the driver isn't cheating, that they didn't get somebody else to do it on their behalf and all this other stuff. And it threw me because like, why, why would you assume that you can't trust them? Like there's all of these sort of questions that come back in my head. And I'm thinking like, do you regularly have people cheating and, <laughs> you know, being dishonest and essentially defrauding you? And if that's the case, then online training isn't your problem. Your culture is your problem. Yeah. You're hiring criminals. That's the problem. Or you're incenting them to become criminals. And so I have a whole bunch of answers and things that I get into about, you know, how to prevent that. And it really becomes kind of a damaging position to say, well, if we can't trust them, we assume that, that they're going to be criminals or we assume that they're going to cheat. Therefore, we're going to force them to do it in front of us, uh, lock down the navigation so they can't skip ahead in anything. We are going to, or in some cases, we're not even going to put in online. We're just going to make them come and sit in a classroom where we can keep our eye on them and know that they're doing it. And that just sends absolutely the wrong message. It's complete garbage. And then you send them out in a, you know, valuable vehicle with valuable commodities within it and just, you know, send them off well, that's the 500 miles away from you. That's the huge disconnect that makes yeah. my brain hurt. Yeah. It's like, you're worried about an online training course. Why are you giving them the keys to the truck? You exactly. should never do that. And in handing them the cargo and stuff like, how do you know they're driving the truck? How do you know they're inspecting it? How do you know that they're not doing all kinds of other wrong things? And what we have found through Best Fleece is that sometimes they aren't driving the truck. Yeah. Oh, for sure. We've and seen that. And sometimes our they partners here have all kinds of stories to talk about. Or that. they ditch the truck. So, yeah. you know, why are if like, you know, making sure that they do their training is not I think you have a more serious you have more serious things to worry about. Yeah. And and being punitive when you're trying to make people do something or make them try to comply is really kind of the worst way to go about it because mm-hmm. it sends it just makes everybody feel bad. You're if I'm punishing you, that's not fun for me. Well, also you're punishing everybody for a few bad apples. You, you're mm-hmm. creating a rule when you should be dealing with the exceptions. And what happens is if that's the culture and that's the approach, then good people don't stick around. They don't want to be treated like they're in kindergarten, like they're children who need to be babysat. So they're going to go and find a better place where they're treated like adults. And then who's left? The people that have nowhere better to go or the people that are, I don't want to say conditioned, but there are some people who just are sort of used to that. And instead of leaving, what they'll do is just... Um, find new ways go down and sort of decline in their performance until they actually meet the level you know Mm -hmm. the crime ends up fitting the punishment so they're being punished already they will eventually just start cheating you because they're already being treated like criminals so they will start acting like them eventually and one of the things that we often will say to each other when we hear about some new law or some new regulation is that you know who has been mess who has been trying to get around yeah. This to make it worse for everybody because you're always, every single rule that is made by any kind of institution comes from someone trying to cheat the system. Yeah. 
Well, and out in broader society, I understand why that's necessary. But within the bounds of a corporation where you have the ability to build a culture and condition people and select the people that are part of that culture, that shouldn't be necessary. Yes, you need some rules because you need to provide clarity on what's expected and what's allowed and not allowed, but you shouldn't necessarily have to have rules for every single situation. You should be able to point people in the right direction give them guidance and a few guardrails and then let them go. Give them some autonomy. Yeah. And if you can't, again, do not give them the keys because the job only works if you trust somebody to take that cargo and deliver it safely and then bring the truck back at the end. If you don't have that, you got nothing. You have no business. So you have to have some level of trust of the drivers, which means you've got to treat them like you trust them and roll out the training in such a way that it is presented as a tool to help professionals do their jobs better. And if you do that, you don't have a lot of issues. You have issues when it's treated as corrective action, which is a phrase I absolutely hate. It's such a ridiculous way of babysitting. Corrective action is what you do with dogs. Yeah. You know, that's what you do when you're trying to train a dog. You've got the leash, you've got the spiky collar on them and you're trying to make them, you, you've sent them to behavioral school. Yeah. That's what a corrective action. Fence. Yeah. That's what I always think of. I mean, if I was subject to corrective actions, I would probably quit. Yeah. Well, the first time you get that, you, you don't feel good about yourself. No. And it's not a sense of a company saying, okay, we're going to help you get better. Everybody makes mistakes. Let's figure out how to do it better. It's Mm -hmm. you. It's a finger pointing at you saying you're a a screw up. And you you know, what really kills me is that in the whole, when you're driving, it is such an enormous effort to stay on top of everything that you're trying to stay on top of while at the same time you're being lulled into this because you're driving down the highway and everything is the same. And so you're fighting fatigue, you're fighting distraction all the time. And there are certain things that are just going to happen. But if you're worried about corrective actions, you know, showing up every time you, you know, you go over the line or you, you, what is that called? The lane, when you, when you, uh, when your lane keeping isn't Thank perfect. you, lane keeping. Or, you know, you miss a corner or something like that. It's just, but at the same time, you have to get there fast. Yep. And you got to go slow and smooth so you you don't burn any fuel. Exactly. You have all of these things and everybody is watching you. There's a scorecard. There's cameras like, whoa, you know, yeah, if you all of these conflicting incentives. And, and if you have corrective actions on top of that, it's like you can't do anything right. Mm-hmm. So then people just assume, yeah, well, I'm not going to do anything right. So I don't care anymore. And that might be part of the reason that people are leaving the industry And people don't want to come into it because why? Well, that also gets to that not only is it corrective action, but there's always a clock on it. You've got to have it done within X days or something. So they don't change the scheduling. But we see this with customers a lot where they'll get all of these things and assign way too much training. So like that goes back to, you know, drivers giving the impression that they don't want training. It's, well, they don't want so much dumped on them when they're already scrambling to get their work done. And now here's a pile of stuff that you got to have done in a week. One of the things that we're working on is some tips for um, customers that where they can 
take some of the subject matter that they're covering in the online training and try and figure out activities around that that will complement the training. But uh, it's not additional training, but it's complementary. So it's yeah. reinforcing the things that we're saying in the material. So it makes you so if you think about, you know, you have a 30 minute module on distraction. What else can you do about distraction? Like what other um, what other things can you do in a safety meeting? So say you have a safety meeting coming up and you're, you know, and the, everybody's done the online training. Maybe you do some sort of activity that, you know, in the groups that is about distraction. Maybe you have a, a survey about, you know, the times that people are most distracted so that people can kind of think about their own behavior and what, in what, you know, distraction kind of means to them. And, you know, just kind of, a, just kind of thoughts on what you can do just besides training. Cause there's yeah. other things that you can do to engage people rather than, okay, it's just going to be training. We're going to, you know, trying to figure out how people can um, interact with each other rather than with you on a trainer, an instructor, or with training a self-study basis. course. Yeah. Like but that also kind of goes to the issue of trust. And that is what you're proposing requires a company to trust that drivers will participate and engage in the activities. And if you build a culture where you're demonstrating that trust and people do collaborate and that sort of, that goes back to all of the bits of drivers feeling heard and feeling like they have an opportunity to be part of things, then yeah, they will speak up and collaborate and they will contribute to these things. They'll get involved, they'll do the activities and it ends up creating a much better outcome for everybody. Part of the, yeah, may not happen at first. You may no, need to do it a couple happen. of times. Because well, and people, also it can't happen in isolation. You've got to have all of those pieces working. Yeah, you have to have a, it, it can't be just a gimmick. It has to be mm-hmm. uh an effort. So you have to think, okay, how do I get people more engaged? What am I comfortable with? That's the thing is what are you okay with doing yourself? If you're not okay with doing some kind of strange icebreaker where everybody has to do a dance move, don't do it. Yep. You know? Yes, indeed. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Um, But if you're okay with, you know, you know, showing a visual and trying to get some interaction based on that or giving them a, you know, it'd be kind of cool as if you had like a a video that they could all access on, on YouTube or something like that and get into small groups and discuss it rather than as a Mm. whole class and discuss it. That would be, that would be something that is easy to do. Like there are ways that you can do interactivity with um, not as much discomfort as, Oh yeah. It's it's hard. It's hard to integrate because you have to get people on board. And the worst thing is, I have to tell you, is that when you're in the front of a room and you say, okay, everybody get into a group yeah, and, and you just, everybody just looks at you and it's like, oh my God. So one of the things that I've learned is that people are way more interested in getting into a group if you kind of assign the groups yep. and you can do that like in tons of different ways and playing cards are really good. So if you want to get people into four groups, hand out some uh, deck of cards and say, okay, all the clubs in one spot, all the hearts in another spot. And then the groups are done. You don't have to stress about that because there is so much stress around getting into a group. You would not believe. Oh, I would believe it. 
Well, and actually, I don't like it, and I I can handle. I've done it, so I try not to do it to other people. I try to assign. I'm just thinking that most of the way trucking companies set up their training rooms actually makes it pretty easy to break them into in groups because they've got the long tables uh, in rows, and there's kind of an aisle down the middle. So you've got some logical groups where you can say everybody on this side is one group, everybody on that side is another one, mm-hmm. or everybody at this table, you know, you're in a table group. There you are depending on how many people are there and how many groups you want, there are natural ways to do that where you don't even have to force them to do it themselves. You can just assign it based on the divisions that are already there. And then people, as soon as you give people a concrete thing where they don't have to make a choice, mm-hmm. then they're much more happy to do it. If you say, okay, everybody get into groups of four. Oh my God, so many problems I have to solve now. Does anybody want to be with me? Do I want to be with anybody else? How many people are in the group I want to be in? Um, Is the class divisible by four? (laughs) How many people are left on their own? Oh, and this is kids and grownups any age. If you have a bunch of people, I would recommend strongly against the put yourselves into groups or find a partner. Oh, Oh, I hate the find a partner. Yeah. So just because there's always one person. Well, and it's kind of sad because those things often come from instructors that are trying to be interactive or trying to do something different rather than just being a lecturer at the front of the room. And I guess like we've talked so much about how trucking needs to stop just having the talking head at the front of the room, start doing interactive things. If they start doing it, yes, these are the issues to, to deal with. Please Don't just have a lecture, but do something interactive. Get your group involved. Get your class discussing things or doing group projects or whatever. But make the groups yourself. Assign the groups. Yes, don't let them or don't stick them doing it. And if you want certain people separated or you want certain people, uh, like if you have really strong um, people who have a lot of strong background and, and really valuable, you don't want to put two of those people together. You want to spread them out mm-hmm. around. So make sure that one of the, like say you have four, make sure that you put them in each of four groups and, or tell, talk to them beforehand and get their buy-in on whatever it is or get their feedback on whatever it is that you're planning on doing, which is going to make them much more interested in participating because they will, the natural leaders that you have in the room, other people are going to follow. So on that, what happens if it's not necessarily people that have super amounts of experience or expertise already, but if it's just people that are really big personalities, do you put them all together in one group or do you split them up so there's one in each group? What do you think? I was just sort of going through it in my head when you're talking about split that other situation. Split them up, man. Split them up. No, I was thinking the opposite. Because if you put one of them in each group, they'll dominate that group. And then the other people kind of get pushed away. So I wonder if it's better to put them all together. Well, I and think then they everybody- can sort of clash. Their big personalities <laughs> can hash it out. But then in the other groups, everybody gets more of a chance to talk and actually, Actually, that's a good point. Because if you have a natural leader in there who is always stepping up and always doing the talking, then yeah, you're going to get that person. Um, and what happens if, they, but, if you split them up, then everybody kind of just waits for that leader to do all the work and make the decisions in the group. But that comes back to 
talking to those people beforehand and telling them what you want them to do. So what I would do, because I'm one of those people who will end up doing it because other people are not, are not very confident about it. I've done it a lot. So I'll do it just to get it over with. Like, let's just, okay, we need to get this done. So I'll do it. I'll be the one to write on the whatever and I'll do the talking. And, but if you want people to not do that, or if you want other people to speak, then get the natural leaders on board with whatever plan you have. So say, okay, I know that you're going to speak, but what I want you to do is encourage someone else to speak. So I want you to get, you know, whoever doesn't normally speak, tell them that you'll write everything down, tell them you'll back them up, but they are not the speaker and tell them they're going to do a great job. And just kind of get the natural leaders in the room to start supporting other people. That's interesting. Because that's one of the things that we talk about with e-learning rollout in general is get those natural leaders on side early because they can do half the work for you. And half the time they're on the driver committee or the driver advisory board or, you know, those people, you know who those people are. Everybody knows who the weak people are and who the strong people are. The middle people are kind of, you know, not so knowable, but you you know what you're going to get in group dynamics or who's new, who's been around for a long time. Are those people who've been around a long time, have they been offered the opportunity to be mentors or, or to be the leaders in these small group situations? And it doesn't even have to be the, the um, small group in person. It can also be virtual groups mm-hmm. or you can do the same thing where maybe you have a buddy system where a small group of drivers actually talks to each other on a regular basis through Facebook or Twitter or, or that kind of thing. And actually, sorry, I just want to mention one thing. One of the things that we kind of want to do in the content team is talk about how you can use Facebook and other social media media to enhance your training, nice. to, to tie it into in social media so that people can um, interact based on a topic outside of, you know, people like to do it on Facebook, may as well, mm-hmm. may as well integrate some training there. Yeah. Well, what I was just thinking is all of those things that you're suggesting, we know work, they're very effective, but it really requires you to sort of think of training as a much larger project than just, we've got a library of courses to dump on people, or I'm going to stand at the front of the room and lecture people for a while. It has to be a much more holistic approach. And uh, it kind of just uh, was in my head triggering my uh, my thoughts of one of the other stories that I was thinking of writing, and I just I didn't end up writing it this particular time, was another sort of training-related myth that is that there should be some immediate ROI on the training. Or, <laughs> like, or we roll out the training and the ROI should come just from that. And so I didn't go with that because it isn't specifically driver related and driver myths is what I was focusing on. But that's something that we hear a lot is this idea that if you put out the training, things will improve and that's it. And people will say, how much will our, our safety record improve if we implement training? So I have, I have a couple of thoughts on that is that ROI thing, because people do Mm -hmm. always want an immediate return. And, um, I'm kind of, this is going to be weird, but I'm kind of likening it to our discussion about brushing your teeth. <laughs> you see where I'm going? Yeah. So both Mark and I are at a an age where our teeth are starting to go. 
and and we have many discussions uh, with our dentist and hygienists because we're there all the time. And one of the things is about how hard you should you should brush mm-hmm. and your gums. And so people and Mark had a really good um, comment about this yesterday because he said people when you think about cleaning, you think of hard scrubbing. Yeah, definitely. Get that and, scrub brush and get down there. And and that's how you're going to get your ROI. Your teeth are going to be so clean <laughs> if you scrub really hard. The harder you scrub, yeah. the more ROI you're going to The more say. training you dump on your people in, in short order. Yeah. The, the more ROI. Well, no, it doesn't yes. work that way. Because what happens when you brush really hard is that you start to wreck your gums. And you actually start removing, like you start actually... Uh, scraping away your gums. And when you get older, you have to have horrendous things like gum grafts where they try to rebuild your gums and it's just horrible. So you can get a very nasty consequence to something you think is actually going to do good. And so what we've found is that, you know, you've got it. Well, flossing is good, but you have to be really gentle with your gums and your toothbrush has to be soft and, you know, you should actually use a water pick and do all soft of this kind of... Soft and gentle and do it for longer and do it more regularly. Just like yeah. soft and gentle and do it for yeah. longer. Very nice. Very sounds nice like we could, we could take that down a bad path, but we're not going to. <laughs> yeah, but that's exactly right. Because people think that the ROI is going to come... Well, and it's not always just a time thing. Like, is the ROI coming in a month or three months or six months? It's whether or not training on its own will generate the ROI. And so I've always uh, had in my head that thought, and I've said it to many people before, that training is not an event, it's a process. And it's a lot like working out. You just got to keep doing it over and over. But like working out, you can't just do that and get healthier. If you're going to get healthy, you've got to change your diet. You've got to change your sleep patterns and all of these other things. And training is the same thing. If you just implement a pile of training, you're not necessarily going to see any result. People who do that are often the ones that get falling into that trap of, I'm just going to assign a bunch of training. It's going to be required to be finished. And if you don't finish it on time, you're not getting dispatched and or you don't get your bonus and all of these other things. And it's really put out there as punishment and it's kind of a chore and that's all there is. Well, drivers don't want to do that. They resent it. They feel like you're just trying to cover your butt Uh, for court and like dumping all the work on them. So if they do it, they're really only doing it to get it out of the way. They're not taking the time to think about it, see how they can incorporate it into their work or any of that other stuff. And of course it doesn't work. What happens is some drivers get fed up and quit. And maybe some of the problem drivers get fed up and quit. And so the average goes up a little bit, but not very much. For the most part, you don't get the ROI you're looking for. Training can never be implemented in isolation and generate any results. You have to have it as part of a larger package, which is all the things we've been talking about, communication, collaboration, finding ways for people to work together, demonstrating trust. That's a whole cultural thing. And when you do that and training is part of it, then training can be kind of the, uh, like it's like igniting gunpowder when you have all of that together can really magnify the effect and you can see some tremendous improvements, but all of those other pieces need to be there as well. I think I'm going to go back to how that works within our own company because I've seen a really big difference in um, 
our approach to cybersecurity. Mm. Because we have a cybersecurity course. We've put everybody through the cybersecurity course, but we have still have had some issues with cybersecurity. In the past, we have had a couple of issues with cybersecurity where people have fallen for it. And um, not completely, but no, but have gone down that path and we've sort of, you know, we fixed it. It's fine. But what we started doing is we actually have um, a uh, we're using Slack internally. So we have a channel where we can discuss things where we basically just post a whole bunch of these phishing messages that we get all the time. Mm -hmm. And you can start to see patterns and you can start to see the ridiculousness and and. It really hasn't happened since then. Yeah. Well, everybody gets involved as well. Yeah. So it's a conversation with everybody and everyone can. So now anytime anyone gets a really fishy email from me, which it's a fishy, always me. Email. Yeah. Fishy uh, with F and PH. Someone posts it to the channel and we all have a laugh and, yeah. and talk about why it's so stupid. And then, you know then all of the other people who are getting the same email don't pay any attention to it because they realize. And also people are starting to learn how I, especially new people, yeah. like with people who, we, who are new to staff, find out, you know, how I actually write when something is going to be a, you know, a real message or not a real message. And as I said before, if it's not, you know, I'm only going to be sending this kind of stuff to Tiffany and it's going to be on Slack. So, mm -hmm. you know, none of you have to be worried about it at all. And uh, so I think that works a lot better because it's an, it's a group activity now. Right. It's not just a, oh, I'm going to do training. So the ROI from that cybersecurity training, that's hard to pin down because it isn't just we put people through a cybersecurity course. We did that, then we did all these follow-up things, and it's an ongoing activity and an ongoing part of the business, yeah. And it seems to be working. You know, We are not seeing people having issues where the uh, where they're getting suckered into going down to down the street and buying gift cards oh and things God, like that. Oh my God, yeah, the gift card. Yeah, so none of those things That was a happening. popular one. It was a popular one for a while. Yeah. Uh, but we can't just say it's tied to a particular course. So the course really isn't, the answer, the course is the foundation. It becomes the catalyst for the answer. So you put people through a distracted driving course and like what you're talking about, it becomes the catalyst for other types of activities that happen. And they're not one-off things. They're things that happen over time or maybe on a repeated basis or something. So how do you say the ROI from that training when it's only one part of the actual solution? So I always... I always bristle a little bit when people ask, or what's the what's the ROI?" And they'll say, "You know, it's hard to pin down specifically." But it's actually interesting when you say that because we go back to the teeth brushing thing, dentist or not dentist, but TV ads mm. and TV in general. Um, the dental hygienist that I was talking to the other day was saying she hates TV because um, because they are always showing people brushing their teeth in a very, very bad way. <laughs> it's yeah, like the worst. Example. Yeah. And, but also toothpaste and mouthwash. I don't know if people actually have floss commercials, but they're always talking about, nobody ever talks about gums and how to treat your gums. They're just talking about the power, the power of this. Just so they're really the Black, message. And they've been doing these animations where it just looks horrible. Yeah, so you feel like you have to scrape it off. And so they've been doing a complete disservice. When online training first showed up, like, you know, back in the 90s, 
there's always that question about ROI. So people were moving from classroom to possibly online and they were like, well, my classroom training is doing this, this and this. Why would I move to online? And the problem is that all the salespeople decided to start doing this ROI thing. Mm. Oh, we're going to, you know, it's going to be so much better if you use online training or do this kind of training because you're going to be able to do this and this and this and it's going to be so successful and blah, blah, blah. So that whole ROI of training has been ingrained into the market ever since the beginning. And it's a stupid, it's a stupid approach because you shouldn't training on its own. It will only work if you actually have a program for that's more than just training. Yeah, it's like asking, if I buy this hammer here, how fast will I be able to build a house? Yeah, it doesn't, it's only a piece. It's only a tool. And you use that tool in combination with all of the other tools to, to make something that creates a program that benefits your culture that you go back and evaluate over and over and over again. Training is not, and especially driver training, it is not a checkbox. And people are treating it like a checkbox and you can't, you have to integrate it into your entire organization and you have to value the people who actually do it. Yeah. Well, that was part of my uh, column about whether drivers want training or not is they can sense if the company is actually putting some effort into it or just dumping it all on them. And they may not be conscious, but their response to it and the feedback that they will give very much shows that. And if the company is putting all that effort into it, like we're talking about and doing all of these things, it becomes very clear that the company is using it as a tool to enable other things. And the company is putting in a fair bit of effort, as much effort or more than they expect drivers to put in. And the response is positive. When you go the other direction and the company doesn't put in much effort, when it looks like they're just doing it to check a box, when it looks like they've just dumped it out, they're not putting much thought into how it's being used or how they're measuring the results or monitoring the activity, when it's just more chores for the drivers, then the feedback from drivers is poor and the response is is not great, the uptake is not good, and you don't see results from it. So you got to put some effort in. So our great online tool that is meant to save time from classroom actually doesn't save you all that much time. You just need to put that time into something else and you end up getting a much better result from it. So what you're doing when you use online training is you're getting a basis of knowledge and that's really all that training does. Yeah. Yeah. Basis of knowledge. And you need to do the application of that knowledge outside of the training but you need to because i always look at it as and i think i've said this on this podcast before it's knowledge and behavior mm-hmm. so the once you once everybody has this, the same knowledge and everybody's coming from the same basis of facts then what do you do with that then you're trying to figure out how to engage people so that they are working towards a certain set of behaviors that they now they understand why they are need to do these behaviors because of X, Y, and Z, but you don't, and if you try to change the behavior without underlying knowledge, then it's, that's also not going to be very successful. So you have to have both. Now that opens up another can of worms. Oh, is that why you're becoming our training rant podcast? This whole business of training will change behaviors. And there's people that sort of pitch that, that 
if you do this training, your behavior will change or equating the two as if they're the same thing. And they are very much not. No, you're not going to get people to change behaviors just by putting them through a course. The way you just described it is a pretty good way to look at it, that this is the foundation. Everybody is now on the same page in terms of knowledge, but they're not going to change their behavior unless they're motivated to do it, unless they care they want to, and they're reminded and they have opportunities and all of these other things, putting somebody through a course is not changing any behavior. And hours of service is a really good example of that. If you, if people are, if you're having, so before ELDs, the, there was a lot of issues with people falsifying logs and, you know, errors on logs and logs, logs. And so most of the answer is, you know, you need training, you need training, you need training. Well, a lot of these people who are falsifying their logs know very well yeah. how to do their logs. They don't they need do- help on the rules. They know the rules backwards and forwards. Yeah, and they're doing this. Uh, it's a behavior thing. These are choices that they're making. So what happened when ELDs came in, it limited their choice. They didn't, they didn't have that ability to change, like to sort of, you know, fake their logs so that it would fit what they did. And what happened was the carriers started realizing that they have to do some, make some changes yeah. in order for the drivers to be able to do the things that they want them to do. And that it gave visibility into what's happening at shippers, what, what the drivers are doing, what the kinds of plans and routes the carrier has. So it kind of, it kind of to me, it, it kind of helped the whole training thing because now you can give people basic knowledge and hours of service and they use ELDs and it should work. And if the carrier has their act together, mm-hmm. then they shouldn't have these issues with drivers having logbook violations where they think, oh, I need to go, I need to train you, I need to train you. No, actually, you don't need to do any training. What you need to do is fix that route. Yeah, what you need to do is change your operations. Yeah, or, or you know, give them more time to park or, you know, fix the parking issue that you have or fix the issue at the shipper that you have. It's not a logbook violation. It is all of these other things. And I think with ELDs, it's making carriers look at all the other things, which they should have been looking at before, Absolutely. but now they're forced into it. Yeah. It was way too easy to just dump everything on the driver. You know, just keep dumping everything on the person that's sort of at the end of the line there. So it was bad planning. It was lack of parking. It was, problems with fuel network. It was all kinds of things, waiting time, delays with shippers. And the driver had to eat all of that. And hey, the company's paying them per mile, so they don't really care. They got no motivation to to fix any of those things. But now with ELDs, like you say, it's not on the driver most of the time. All of those things are not driver issues. The company's got to deal with that. If the driver runs out of hours because they burn too many of them waiting at the shipper, and now they've got no place to go and no parking... Now what do they do? You know, it's not the driver's problem. That's the company's problem. Yeah, exactly. It's made. So training, training is not the solution to so many different problems. And I think if you look at it, like you said, it's not, is it the driver's problem? And that's another thing that we say all the time is, is that really the driver's problem? Could you come up with a solution that makes it, takes it off the driver's back and puts it onto, you know, the, the operation staff or the, um, you know, safety staff or something like that. Move it further up the chain where better decisions can be made and there's more power to make change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we've had a lengthy rant about all the ways people are doing training wrong and the right ways of doing it. 
That's the positive ending. Here's the right way to do it. Yes. So I think we can probably be done for this podcast. (laughs) That is probably a pretty good place for us to stop. So yes, we will wrap this one up. We're going to take the summer off and then we will be back in the fall, at which point we have lots of things that we'll we will have ready to announce. Yes, and the best fleets to drive for will have been opened and the overall awards will be given in the same month. Yep. <laughs> so 2021 overall and 2022 opens. Yes. So it's going to be interesting over the summer and fall. Mm-hmm. We will catch up with everybody then. In the meantime, have a good summer. Have a great one. 